Hey gang, Brad here, and I just want to tell you that now may be your last chance to book the vacation of a lifetime, spending a week with 3,000 other crazy 80s fans on the 80s cruise. Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas leaves Miami on March 8, 2020 for seven glorious Caribbean days, with stops in San Juan, St. Thomas, Punta Cana, and Labadee. But the real fun comes from performances by the B-52s, Brett Michaels, Berlin, Loverboy, Grandmaster Flash, Tony Hadley of Spandau Ballet, Tony Lewis of the Outfield, Patti Smith and Scandal, Lita Ford, Asia featuring John Payne, Midnight Star, The Jets, The Motels, Big Country, Katrina from Katrina and the Waves, Annabella from Bow Wow Wow, Dire Straits, Legacy, and everybody's favorite tribute band, Jesse's Girl. Along with them are the original MTV VJs, Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood, and Alan Hunter. And new this year, Larry the Duck from Sirius XM's First Wave Station. Plus, we have a special bonus for Stuck in the 80s listeners. If you book with the promo code STUCK, that's S-T-U-C-K, like I'm stuck having a great time with 3,000 people in the Caribbean, you get $200 cabin credit. But don't wait. There's only one cabin category left. Find out more at www.the80scruise.com. Now, on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we get to spend some time with the frontman of Asia featuring John Payne. Asia? You framed an Asia poster? How hard did the people at the frame store laugh when you brought this in? They did not laugh at me. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at, everyone together now, clnsmedia.com. As always, we plead, please, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. From the very first rush to the very last side In a moment's touch to the whole of time Be the secrets of me Brad, you know what's extra funny about that line from The 40-Year-Old Virgin? John Payne, the leader of Asia featuring John Payne, actually made that joke to me during this uh, week's interview when I told him that I had a mural of an Asia album outside my college dorm room. It's a classic story that dates to the early days of the podcast. I'm trying to figure out how much paint you guys had to buy to put that thing together. It was, more than a little bit. And he asked me if, if I could find it, send it to him. So I did. I found it a couple hours ago this mo- this morning. And so I, I sent it off to him with a thank you for the for the interview. And uh, I'm curious to see if he responds. But uh, before we start with the interview, just a little quick background on our guest. John Payne became the lead singer in Asia in 1991 when John Wetton, the original lead singer, left the band he and Jeff Downs, the band's original keyboardist and the co-writer of so many classic Asia tunes, 
basically kept the band alive for the next 15 years. They released uh, six new studio albums. Good grief. They toured. Yeah, I mean, it's almost inconceivable to think that there was a period of time when John Payne had been the lead singer of Asia much longer than John Wetton had. Now, things kind of maybe evened out after the original Asia uh, reformed in 2006. But John still tours. They came to a legal agreement where they can perform as Asia featuring John Payne. And, of course, he and Asia will be performing on the 2020 Voyage of the 80s Cruise. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, they're going to be fun. So in our interview, John talks about the band's history, how he came to join Asia, how he met Jeff. It's a great conversation. Uh, Please do not get too distracted by the sounds of John's pets. (laughs) (laughs) I I did what I (laughs) There's at least one bird that you'll hear pretty significantly in the background. (laughs) And then at one point, I'm pretty sure there's a cat that's in the room and meowing pretty loudly. I edited out what I could, but what I left in just adds to the flavor. Just shows the softer uh, side of John Payne. Right. And I just I didn't want to ask him about it because I thought we were having such a nice chat, I didn't want to ruin the flow of the conversation. Yeah. And I didn't want him to start to notice that the sounds were sometimes really, really loud. In any case, uh, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Asia's John Payne. got to tell you, John, uh, I'm, I'm such an Asia fan that when I was in college, um, my roommate and I painted a giant mural of an Asia album cover on our wall, and it stayed there for about 20 years until they finally demolished that dormitory. Oh, wow. So almost almost like in 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> yeah, almost exactly like that. <laughs> what, size, what size did you do it? Oh, it's huge. It was. It was. It must have been six feet by six feet. Oh wow! I have a fix, picture of it somewhere. I'll, I'll scan it. Oh, if you do, send it. Send it to me. Yeah, I'd love to see it. So excited because you're going to be on uh, the '80s cruise in 2020. Yes. And um, so I guess my first question's got to be: Is this is this your first kind of rock cruise, or you know, or have you been on cruises before, and or performed on cruises before? I did. I did, um, I think, somewhere around 2013. I think it was 2013 or 2014. I did one with the Moody Blues. Oh, nice. And it um, left from Florida. It was fun. It was uh, some friends of mine, uh, the Zombies did it as well. And... uh, Sadly, it was the last time I got to see Jim Rodford, who passed away. He was the bass player in the Zombies and the Kinks. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, I hung with Rod Argent and uh, Justin from the Moody's, who I'm very good friends with. But it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and I didn't think it would be as, as much fun. But um, it was really good. It's a really good vibe with, it, with everybody, and it's it, – it, by the end of the cruise, it kind of ends up as like one big family. It's exactly the same way the 80s cruise is for all of us. Um, right. I heard you had a show last week or so with Lou Graham. Yes. And he was on the 2018 voyage of the 80s cruise. I, I'm just kind of wondering, did he tell you any stories about his time on the ship? No, no, he didn't. Um, 
I didn't know that he'd done it. And um, Lou, Lou's a great storyteller, actually. We've, we've become pretty close over the last few years. I've been working with him. I've, I've known him, like, to bump into on radio tours and press tours for 30 years. But actually, work, the first time I worked with him was in uh, 2013. So, but, um, yeah, he, he, he usually recounts very good stories. So I'll have to remind him and see what he's got to say. I, I interviewed him about maybe 10 years ago when he was touring. And, yeah, he was an amazing storyteller. But I, I know he really wowed them that year. I mean, he really knocked the walls down in, during his shows. You know, there's, there's something about uh, the band Foreigner, uh, how it's ingrained, particularly in American music. Um, obviously, it's all over the world. And coming from England, you know, Foreigner was – Pretty much um, one of my favorite bands. Four and a four is probably that and Breakfast in America and a couple of others are in my top 10 or top five albums. And Lou, along with Bronny um, James Dio and Paul Rogers, are my main influences as a vocalist. So um, to work with a guy is indeed a pleasure. And the only time virtually now he goes out on, on to do any shows is with us because he's he's retired from touring apart from with us now. Oh, I, did, I didn't realize that. So we were lucky to see him when we did then. Yeah, yeah. He, he announced his retirement about six months ago. And I said to him, why are you retiring? He goes, you know, I've been everywhere. I want to bow out gracefully. I don't want to travel. I don't want to do two-hour shows. I want to be able to give everybody 100%. So I went to him and said, well, how about with us? We do a 90-minute show with the Asia Band, but halfway through, you join us and you sing your your foreigner stuff. And he said, well, look, let's try it out. So he tried it out. It works great. He loves the band. He calls them his one muscle. And uh, um, we have a great time. I hope we get a chance to see that. Sounds like an amazing uh, night. Yeah, we, we we do we do you know quite a few shows throughout the states every year. I'm, I'm sure cruise ship is then hardly the most interesting venue you've ever played. What what shows or venues stick out in your career as, as being really memorable? You know, one of them would have to be the first show I did with the the first official show I did with the band in in '92, which was in Tokyo. In, uh, I think it was a place called NHK Hall. And it was kind of surreal for me, as starting as a fan of the band, to actually pinching myself and, and being in the band uh, 10 years after its inception. And being on stage, obviously, with Steve Howe and Jeff Downs and recording with, with Carl Palmer as well. Um, that stood out a lot. That first show was was very magical, and then there's there's always shows along the way. You know, we played in Estonia to two hundred thousand people. That was pretty amazing. We played the Joe Robbie Stadium um, in Florida. 
to 80,000 people and we shared the stage with Paul Simon, uh, the Bee Gees, Crosby, Stills and Nash. And in fact, we shared the same dressing room Wow! because it's a football stadium as those guys. That was for the Hurricane Andrew benefit, right? That's right. And we got to hear, I got to witness um, them doing um, Love the One You're With in the dressing room. So it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty magic. And then there were other ones like there's certain audiences that some of the major cities, it's just like, you know, come on and impress us. And then you go to somewhere like Spain. I remember playing in um, uh, Barcelona at this little venue called the Gas Lamp. I think it held about 2,000 people. But they managed to squeeze 4,000 people in there. And they're like hanging from the rafters and um, singing every single song. I actually remember that one uh, because Chris Slade was in the band on, on that one. So that would have been um, early 2000s. And that was probably the most enthusiastic audience uh, I've ever seen in my life. You mentioned Japan, and I've always kind of wondered this. Like, Japan seems like it's always been a really supportive and hot market for Asia and, and, and other bands in general. I mean, Cheap Trick obviously had their big album, you know, Budokan there. What, what do you think it is about Japan as an audience that makes it so appreciative and supportive? Um, Japan, um, they, they, st- it, the, the culture is um, very different from ours. So they're fascinated by our culture, I think, as we are by their culture. Um, there also is a, an extreme um, fan base for for a lot of music, starting with jazz. They're they're very into uh, top end players. So it's you know, well, a lot of countries, it's it's much to do with um, the songs and the music and the image. Whereas I think Japan comes forward firstly from musicianship. There's something about the Japanese culture that appreciates all the hard work and learning and skill that's gone into something. Everything they do, the presentation of, of meals in a simple restaurant in Japan is, is an art form. So, you know, the, the extensions of Sophia art form, um, is very much appreciated in Japan and Asia initially coming from a super group of prog musicians that, that uh, were at the top of their game in 1982. I think it really struck a chord with, with Japan and um, uh, it, it, it still does. And, and I can't wait to go back out there again. It's been a while. You mentioned Supergroup. I have to ask this: um, when when the, when Asia first got started in the early '80s, a lot of people referred to them as the uh, Supergroup. And <clears throat> the age I was, which I I was a teenager in the '80s, I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever heard of a Supergroup before then. So, no, it was the first band named a Supergroup. I think I don't know who named it. Whether it was Geffen, John Colodna, or or the press, but that's how it it went out. And you know, there, there was. There was a kickback against it uh, as well because um, it might seem conceited to call it a supergroup, but that's really what it was. 
And um, I think as much as what it, what it was as well from, from a prog perspective, all these guys, they crossed over into the mainstream, which hadn't really happened so much in that genre of music, which also I think pissed off fans that were deep prog fans when they heard the first Asia album. You have songs like Heat of the Moment that were very radio-friendly, and that's the antithesis of, of what a lot of prog fans want is radio-friendly. But, you know, it did, it did have, obviously, prog uh, curves to it, but the writing particularly of Wetton and Downs was, was very, very commercial. What, what was your first reaction when you heard the, their music? I, I really liked it because as well as um, being a muso and looking at superlative players, I was always song-based, and I am to this day that you can have the greatest musicians on the track, but if there's no song there, it really doesn't stand the test of time. If you can't pick up a p acoustic guitar and play that song or play it on a piano, then it's either a mathematical exercise or, you know, a piece of avant-garde music. So um, I, the song sensibility um, and the harmonies particularly really, really blew me away from uh, the first album. And, I, and I'd been a follower of UK. I, I, I've always been into big harmonies like Journey, Kansas, Sticks. So when I heard particularly John Wetton, who stacked up most of the harmonies himself on UK, I I was, you know, very open-minded to the first Asia album. It's funny because they, they sort of went through, they went through some of their own changes before you joined. I mean, I think I remember being a kid and seeing the Asia in Asia concert on MTV and all the drama that um, happened right beforehand because I think what, John Wetton had stepped aside and Greg Lake had come in and, and taken over the lead vocals? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, John, John at the time had, uh, was suffering from uh, an alcohol addiction, which, you know, thankfully he got through. But um, I believe, and I may be incorrect, is that, that the, the label asked for him to be fired and um, Greg, Greg Lake came in. Um, they dropped the keys of some of the songs because Greg had a lower voice. But there was, a, there was this, you know, obviously the connection with King Crimson, and there was this similarity in their, you know, British um, voices that they, they were similar singers. And um, Asia, Asia and Asia, you know, was 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 a huge, huge gig. I remember all Jeff's keyboards being at the back, and um, a big backdrop with thousands of lights in it, and that was simulcast uh, by MTV, I believe, all over the world. The, the similarity in the English voice helping Greg Lake. Did that help you too in '91 when you joined? That that similarity in voice. A little bit, uh, I think. Uh, from Greg and John, I have I have a different different voice, and I must admit it was really nice of as Jeff, and maybe because of 
the similarities with Greg before when they asked me to join. I said, you don't have to sing everything just like John Webb. We don't want a tribute band. We want you to bring your own thing. And John had a, uh, and Greg had a much cleaner sounding voice than myself. Um, I was coming from uh, more of a rock background rather than a rock folk frog background that those guys came from. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, being influenced as well by Paul Rogers and, and Dio that, that, you know, I wanted a, a more, more powerful delivery, uh, but still trying to respect the original song. So, um, I suppose a, a little bit helps some, some people say I, I sound like John, but, uh, I think it's just because of the songs and I, and I don't think I really do. So, um, but the, the songwriting style, the musical style, the harmonic style, the harmonies, um, really, uh, was embodied by original Asia still. What was your first reaction when Jeff invited you to join the band? Kind of confusion and not knowing exactly what to do. I didn't say yes straight away. Um, I used to live in London. I had this Siamese cat that I used to take on the underground. And I got a call one day to go to Nomi Studios to meet with Jeff. I'd been working with Jeff on a project called Rain and actually had recorded most of what became Who Will Stop the Rain. And that never got a record deal. And then during that time, I was asked to join ELO as a vocalist. So I was kind of working songwriting with ELO. And uh, when Jeff asked me, I turned up this meeting and said, we'd like you to join Asia. And I said, well, you know, who's playing bass? He said, well, you are. And I said, well, I play bass and I sing, but I don't do the two together because it's a pretty hard thing to do, especially when you're playing songs like Cutting It Fine or whatever, that there's a different um, tempo, not tempo, but there's a different uh, thing you have to lock into um, when you're singing. You've got to lock into the drummer and you might be at 30 seconds or 16th or a push away from where those beats are. So, you you have to almost work like a drummer yourself, you know, patting your your head and rubbing your chest at the same right. time. I'd imagine. So, uh, yeah, it took me a couple of days to think about it, and then I went, "What am I doing?" Because I should do it. And I did it and um, spent a lot of time bass playing and singing before the first album, and then uh, when we recorded Aqua, by the time we got to touring, I was. I was pretty happy with doing the two things together. And to this day now, uh, you know, even if I take on a, another project, like what I've done with Dukes of the Orient or GPS, I'm playing bass and singing. Is that where you feel happiest now? Is that where you, you feel most comfortable now? Yeah, I mean, I started as a guitarist vocalist in the early days when I was a kid. And then I went and saw a gig, which was 
Michael Schenker Group and Van Halen in London. Wow. And I was, and I went, I don't want to play guitar anymore. <laughs> These guys are so good. I think I'm just going to sing, and I spend a lot of time singing. But now, you know, um, even on on Asia albums back as far as 92, I played guitar, some guitar in it. And at home, I've got 30 guitars, and I'm really into guitar tone. So, But, um, no, I love playing bass. You wrote a lot of um, material with Jeff. What was that songwriting partnership like? Um, really good. Um, he, he and I hit it off very good as songwriters and I actually prefer more than anything, any other instrument, instrument working with someone that's a piano player. And, uh, all of our songs either started on acoustic guitar or piano and we built a song and then we built the production. We never went the other way around. So. It was really good. Jeff has wonderful knowledge of chords, wonderful knowledge of harmonic structure. Um, and um, the two of us, you know, we ended up sharing a house together for, I don't know, 20 years almost. Wow. So we'd, you know, we have a piano in the house and we'd write about 100 songs before we came down to, to 10 for an album. In 2006, when Jeff left to reunite with the original members of the band, what what was your reaction when you got the news? Or and how did you get the news? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really really happy. It was it was it was wasn't handled greatly. I mean, we were we were in the studio doing another record for the record label, and um, our manager said. Um, see some gigs are being booked in South America. What's going on? And we didn't know what was going on. And we had a meeting and then Jeff just said, oh, I'm reforming original Asia. And we were sharing a house together at the time in, in Burbank. And that was basically the last time I saw him. Wow. He went back to the UK and I never heard from him again until probably two or three years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy. And it, it's kind of didn't end up very nice. And, and, uh, there were Steve, Steve, Howe actually sent me a letter and said, I didn't realize it was going to be like this. And, and we could go out with both, bands together and do a bit of your era and then do the rest of the show with, with Asia and that there was a way through it. But, um, I think, um, between, uh, it's not what, what John wanted. So, um, it, it didn't, it didn't happen that way. And it was kind of unfortunate and got, got, uh, legal, but, um, we ironed it out so that the two of us could still go out using the Asia name. A handful of other bands have kind of survived when they've splintered into two groups. You, I mean, you have Jefferson Airplane and Starship come to mind, and and Dennis DeYoung and yep. Sticks. 
they still both yep. tour and play the same music. What are you doing personally to keep your version of Asia going strong? So um, we we go out, and as you know, it's called Asia featuring John Payne when it goes out. But um, we we play some of the material from um, all the albums that I did, and I had an extensive amount of albums with Asia. Um, uh, as well, uh, unfortunately, you know that if we do any soft ticket shows, county fairs, or casinos, then people are uh, are wanting to hear, obviously, the original album, the first album, uh, even at the first three albums that that um, Asia self titled album was the biggest album and will always will be. So you can't get away from the fact that if you are using anything in association with the name Asia, you must play Heat of the Moment. You must play Any Time Will Tell. You must play Soul Survivor. Um, and I've played these songs for so long now that um, that I'm, you know, they're part, they're part of me even though I wasn't involved in them in the first place. So, and, and I do love playing uh, this. There's, there's one song I really love playing is time again. Oh yeah. It's got kind of sure. a, a jazz vibe to it. And, um, I have to, to, you know, be sure that, that, that the fact of album sales directs mostly what your set's going to be. Um, but I, I love going deeper into tracks and and playing some some stuff that uh, is is more from my era and and on on the cruise I want to go deeper into that catalog as well. Good, I, I'm hoping we get to hear Military Man and Desire and Who'll Stop the Rain. Yes, they they'll definitely be played. Even now we play those three on a on a on a Asia FJP show. So. And uh, we play Silent Nation, and I'd almost like to add add a few more. Um, I was talking to the guys about doing Sunday off of Avaqua, um, which I've not played for years. I, I think you'll find that the crowd on the ship is going to be very receptive to that. I Previous years, I mean, uh, uh, Katrina from Katrina and the Waves was on. In fact, she's going to be on this year's, or 2020 as well. And, of course, she's largely known for one or two songs, and – she played a 90 minute set that just, you know, we knew those two songs, but the other 15 that she played were just amazing. And everybody was just, I mean, by the end of the end of the week, she was one of the breakout stars from it. I mean, people, I mean, good music. Is, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, people appreciate good music. Yeah. I'm also looking forward because there's, there's a few people on this cruise that I haven't bumped into for ages. Oh, like who? Um, like Terry Nunn. Oh, she's great. I think Berlin are doing it. Yeah. And um, I toured with them in 2002 um, quite a few days, like 30 concerts across the States. I read in recent years that you co-wrote and directed a show in Las Vegas called Raiding the Rock Vault. Correct, yes. What was that about and what sparked that idea? Well, a um, previous manager of mine came to me and said, um, we want to take go on the road with – um, a show 
there's basically just a covers band, but the ultimate covers band. So playing some of the greatest hits of the 80s um, and the 70s and uh, just tour it. So it would just be like the ultimate covers band. And uh, so he said, could you help put the musicians together and um, and uh, rehearse everybody up and let's record these songs? And I said, well, you know what a nerd producer I am. I want to use the same mics and get the same room sounds as you know, and classic songs like you know, Hotel California and Stairway to Heaven. So um, I worked with Simon Phillips um, from Toto and The Who on it at his studio. Um, and we had a few uh, meetings with Irving Azoff uh, about taking this on the road. And um, it uh, transpired that Tom Consolo, his his touring guy uh, at Live Nation said, really, we don't think we can get the money for this that you need to tour this. Um, so we went back to the drawing board. And uh, I thought, well, I've just come off doing a thing with, funny enough, with Justin Hayward called Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, which was a touring. Um, story of War of the Worlds based on an album that 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 was out in the seventies, big album. Phil Linnitz Phil Linnett sang on it. And in fact I took over Phil Linnett's part, obviously, because he'd passed. Chris Thompson was on it. Chris, um, Chris Spedding. Great album. So I thought, well let's make this theatrical. Um so I went back to the drawing board and thought, well as a kid, I listened to all this music, and I was, you know, in 1968, I was 10 years old, and all this music was, I mean, it's quite an ultimate time to, to, to grow up. The Stones, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, Free, Santana, all these bands were, and particularly guitarists, guitaring had suddenly gone from this twangy guitar sound to this cool rock distorted guitar sound so basically i wrote a story about me me growing up i uh, brought in a friend of mine david kirschenbaum who was head of a&m records for a while he produced tracy chapman uh who produced uh, a, a lot of great records and we sat down and and wrote it together and it was basically the story of of music going from the influences of of black music in the fifties through to nineteen ninety is where we stopped. And parallel to this, I'd I'd on the stage we had four actors that grew up from in America from Vietnam, kids going to war to one becoming. Um, one of the guys having a kid and she became a VJ and one side of the stage was an AM records radio station that turned into an FM radio station that turned into MTV. So it was like chronological story of, of classic rock. And, um, we did one show in LA and, uh, 
it got us a deal at the old Hilton in Las Vegas. And, and um, two years that I was in it, it became uh, best Vegas musical. Oh, wow. Man, I wish I'd seen that when I was there. I, I haven't been to Vegas in a, in a long time, but that would have been worth the plane ticket. It was fun. So I have to ask you, you mentioned some of these bands from when you're growing up. This, this will be a good last question for you. If you were going to design your own music cruise and you could book any band, you know, either ones that are still together or ones who have split up or ones that aren't around anymore, who who would you pick for it? I would like to do... That's funny. It's a great question. Like an ultimate album tour. So you have uh, the most iconic classic rock albums. Uh, so you have Supertramp uh, doing Breakfast in America. You have Foreigner doing Foreigner 4. And then, you know, you can go on with, you know, sticks, uh, I don't know, Grand Illusion or wh- whatever. But if you if you could get, like, six bands and then the splinter off from those bands to do those iconic, iconic albums, Boston, the first Boston album, yeah. you know, Santana, Abraxas, um, Tommy, The Who. You know, you just, you, you did a, an ultimate tour of, of those iconic albums um, rather than just the band, but the band plays that album. Um, I think that would be very cool. I think that would be really cool. I love that idea. John, thank you for your time today. Thank you for the great questions. there he is john payne from uh, asia featuring john payne what do you think brad that was amazing i, I especially like the cat <laughs> i still am kind of in shock about how jeff downs left john payne behind and just kind of yeah rejoined his old bandmates and just sort of left him hanging there. Can I, can I can i call that a dick move because it kind of is a dick move <laughs> It seems like a dick move. I mean, there may be some subtleties um, to it that we don't appreciate, but the story as recounted doesn't really cast Jeff in a good light, I don't think. Right. No, no. And once upon a time, he was probably on my bucket list of people to interview, but I would have a hard time getting through it now and not asking him to make some attempt to acquit himself yeah. of what was surely a pretty mean-spirited thing. Yeah, walk me through that, Jeff. Oh, well, Steve. <laughs> yeah. How about I just hang up on you, Steve? Well, look, you do that too. There's one thing I'd like to walk you through right now. Can you guess what that would be? I pray to God it's the Seggies. You guys cool it with the gay. The, the Seggies. Ah, the uh, ever familiar, but not quite so much so that I would call it mystical theme song that is the i want my mystery tv theme song theme song song wow of themes you think i'd be getting paid every time i say theme song Uh. but i guess i'm not 
I get paid the same for this podcast as I do all the rest. Yeah, baby. 0. 0.00. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we will play a snippet of a theme song from the 80s. If you can get it right, you're entered into a drawing. And you might get one of Brad's flat bottle openers. Oh, so flat and yet so bottle opener-y. Yeah. So, from episode 511, here was our mystery clip. Portland is a long way from L.A. Yep, that's the theme song to Hello, Larry. Well, hello, Larry. You talk to people all day for a living. But all those easy answers you are giving. Are you really living your life that way? Portland is a long way from L.A. Yeah, you dug deep for that this... one, my friend. You dug deep for that. I'd never even heard of this TV yeah, show. Really? Oh, I remember well, it. Well, started coming in, and I'm like, well, that must be what it was. I don't know what the heck he's talking about. You know how hard it is to uh, pull a clip from this theme song without giving away the name of the show? <laughs> Literally, the only lyrics in 90, 99% of the lyrics in the song are, Hello, Larry. <laughs> This song was swirling around my head for like the last two weeks, ever since uh, I put it in there. That and Portland is a long way from L.A. I don't know why I'm singing today. You just, you're a musical person. I am not. Anyway, why don't you read some winners? Because some people did get it right. Winners this week include Greg, Mr. Shira White, Brock in North Dakota, Tim and Toadsuck, Jeff Rocks in Indiana, Dave in Houston, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Kevin Serving Wench, Jeff in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Peter Ryan in Montreal, Tom Korn in Austria, Stephen Halifax, Giovanni from London, Joseph Perdue, Emma from Egan, and our old friend Chase Squire, who writes, Hi guys, just got back from listening to your second Close But No Cigar podcast during my morning run in beautiful Bogota, Colombia. What? Crazy. First of all, I finally got one of your TV theme songs. This one was the god-awful How in the Hell Did It Last Two Seasons but it was the inspiration for the much better similarly-themed radio talk show sitcom Frasier. Wow, that's a tortured sentence. Oh, wait. <laughs> I didn't even get through the whole thing yet. <laughs> McLean Stevenson vehicle, Hello, Larry. Should I give that whole sentence one more read so the listeners can appreciate the wonderfulness of it? No. We'll move on. That show was so awful in the first season, centered on life at a radio station, that they changed it to a single dad-raising-daughters theme in the second season. They just changed like the last word or two of the theme song to make it fit the new focus. Back to Bogota, my wife Sarah Lee and I quit our jobs and are enjoying a three-month tour of some South American cities as we consider retiring outside the United States. Yes, the children of the 80s are retiring. I can think of two other listeners who have retired. One has her own Stuck in the 80s theme song. Hmm. Carol Jansen. Yeah. And the other, I believe, retired after serving our country on a beautiful island neighboring Florida. Jeff in Cuba. I've officially become one of those old guys of my youth who attended classic hot rod car shows and took 50s cruises with special guest Wolfman Jack. As you know, Miami Vice is and always will be my favorite TV show, so I cannot tell you how effing Sonny Crockett badass it felt to book a ticket to Bogota one way. Listen, pal, if I don't get to Bogota before Calderon's people, our cover's blown. That said, never call your wife Tubbs. Trust me on that one. <laughs> Cruising the streets of Bogota, I'll forever be not just stuck in the 80s, but living in the 80s. Chase in Bogota. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I think he's checking out three or four different countries down there. I know Colombia was one. I think Panama might have been another. And Costa Rica, maybe. Oh, what's the Honduras? 
might be the other one. So, lot of expats living in Honduras. Oh, who knew? So, so Chase sent me a T-shirt to give away to a podcast listener when they were cleaning out their place. He came across this T-shirt that he won in a contest from Alan Hunter, and it is a Daryl Hall and John Oates H two O tour T-shirt. Wow, 1983 tour T-shirt. I'm holding it in my hot little wow. hands. Yeah, nice. If I thought it would fit me, I would keep it. Original, original shirt. Uh, yeah, we have to find a we have to find a contest worthy. I of that. don't think it's original because it's an American Apparel T-shirt, and that company wasn't around in the 80s. Oh. But it is a replication well, hey. of the hot H2O tour, a replica, I should say. Yeah, it looks <laughs> like an, it's a nice T-shirt. We need to figure out a way to give that away. Well, why don't we do this? Whoever wins this week, after we spin the wheel, they can choose between the bottle opener and the T-shirt. What, what size is a T-shirt? Steve, uh, there's not a tag on it, but I think it's probably a large. looks a little big to be a medium, but it's okay. not an extra large. So no worries. I won't keep it. I won't claim I sent it out and that it got <laughs> lost in the mail. Okay, well, let's spin the wheel, and whoever, whoever wins can either have the bottle opener or the uh, note shirt. So go ahead. Grab, grab the wheel and spin it. It's a matter of where he grips it. Wow. Ate my Wheaties this morning. I just felt that one in Logan. Yeah, no kidding. And it's slowing down, finally, and it's going to land on Dave in Houston. You are this week's lucky winner. So email us and tell us do you want the shirt or do you want the bottle opener? And uh, don't forget to include your postal address. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITDs.com and then tune in in a few weeks and find out if you're a winner. One other news of note for this week, uh, the month's almost over. You might have heard us mention on one of the last couple episodes, we're, we're up for a podcast award this year, the People's Choice Podcast Award. And we, we need your help to do it. It's It's all done by you know listener vote so here's how you can do it you you go to podcastawards.com you'll have to register your email address it's a bummer i know but it takes two seconds and you're done and then under the entertainment category you should see stuck in the 80s and we would love it if you'd vote for us and feel free to vote for your other podcast for other categories and if we win we will uh what will we do we'll celebrate <laughs> we promise we won't do any more uh Podcast award uh, promos for the rest of the year. How's that? We'll do an excessively self-indulgent show in which we talk about how great we are. (laughs) And every five minutes, I'll break into song singing the theme song to uh, Hello, Larry. How's that? That'll be perfect. Night and day. (laughs) You are the one. Uh, but anyway, uh, we hope you join us on the 80s Cruise because we're going to have some fun hanging out with John Payne. We appreciate him joining us for this episode of Stuck in the 80s. In the meantime, Brad and I will be here, hopelessly, Stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. <laughs>